Welcome to episode number two of Inside the Equipment Room, the untold stories of a college baseball manager. Um, starting to think uh, after doing my intro there, I might need to come up with a shorter title than, than that. It's a lot to say at the opening. Maybe I'll just stick with um, Inside the Equipment Room. So glad to be back for um, episode number two. Uh, we're going to have our first guest on later. Um, and the reason why I chose this guest was... Um, in the three years I was in Starkville, there's very memorable moments of home games on the road or whatever. But one memory that sticks out to me was in the fall of 1991. At the time, Coach Polk did alumni games in the fall, and they were usually every other year. And so I was in charge of passing out all the equipment and getting everything set up. And there's a the photo has been circulating around a few times in the fall of 91. Uh, a lot of guys came back, but you had Bobby Thigpen, Jeff Brantley, Will Clark, and Rafael Palmero, who all played together uh, on the, I think I think they were together in 84 and 85 uh, teams and went to the College World Series in 1985, and they took a photo at that game, and I remember seeing that, and when they took that photo, and then when uh, the SEC Network did the Thunder and Lightning documentary about five, six years ago, uh, that photo came back up again, and, and you look at the players that came at Mississippi State um, during that time when uh, when Coach Polk started from the mid seventies all up through the eighties. I mean, you're you're talking four major league all star uh, team uh, players on the same college baseball team, and it's I'm not sure if that's ever been done since then, but it's pretty impressive to have four major league baseball players. Uh, not only make it to the majors, but um, all-star players. And uh, so so tonight uh, we're going to be talking to Wally Vanderford. And Wally was uh, the manager from for the 1982 seasons all the way up through 1986. So he was there when those guys were there. Um, they had a run, pretty good run there from 83, 84, and 85. Uh, so we're going to talk to Wally, uh, get his... Uh, thoughts on uh, what it was like back then um, be interested to get his thoughts on the where the way the stadiums were back then compared to where they are now uh, just the level of college baseball uh, I want to talk to him about even going down to LSU that's uh, those early days that's before uh, Skip Bergman got there and turned LSU uh, into what they are uh, these days so a little bit different uh, time frame and it's 35 uh, 40 years ago uh, but it'd be interested to get some some stories from Wally about uh, those guys, not only those major league players, but some of the other guys that were on the teams uh, from the in in the in the early to mid '80s. So uh, we'll be right back after a short break. back to Inside the Equipment Room podcast. With me is the legendary Wally Vanderford. Wally was an equipment manager at Mississippi State for the 1982 to 86 seasons. So, Wally, appreciate you joining today. Glad to have Glad to be here. All right, well, all right Wally. Um, talk about back uh, to the fall of 1981 when you set foot on campus at Mississippi State. Uh, how, how did you become a manager? Uh, my story was I sent Coach Polk a letter. Uh, do you have a similar story on how you became a manager? Uh, I did. Uh, actually, I, I sent a letter too, but uh, my my parents uh, thought it would be a good idea since, you know, I was a, somewhat kind of applying for a job, so to speak, that uh, I include a resume. 
uh, with my letter. So um, it got uh, Coach Polk's attention. Uh, he said he had never received one before. So uh, I think that's what got my foot in the door just for an interview was that resume. Oh, which, ba- which basically uh, just said that, you know, I, you know, I, I'd worked as a manager, you know, with, you know, in high school for various sports and stuff, and, you know, what my responsibilities were and stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, well, and take us back to, I mean, it's almost been 40 years now and I won't make you feel old or anything, but back to the fall of 81, if I remember 81 was a college world series team and you came in and that fall, what was it like? I know Coach Polk's very detail-oriented at practice. What was your first impressions uh, uh, getting assigned the, the job as a manager and all the duties that you had to do? Well, I, I got lucky that, uh, you know, coming in as a freshman, the, I had two senior managers, uh, Jim and Jack Moorhead, uh, were seniors then, and and so they knew the ropes and, you know, had been through everything. So it was just a matter of uh, being told – what to do and uh and going to do it uh so i, I had a, a fairly easy as far as uh responsibilities you know i was just following orders but uh i was kind of impressed with uh how detail oriented uh practices were how t- you know time management w- was a big key with you know coach pope and so uh you know we we followed you know every minute was uh choreographed during practice yeah, that's one thing. I think back to my days as a manager, we were one of us was given the during the fundamental drill series one and two. We had the stopwatch and you had DL switch real loud and change it between stations. And that's one thing uh, with Coach Polk with his uh, with his playbook, uh, very detailed down to who's hitting fungos to who's shagging uh, foul balls and along those lines. Did you, uh, in, did, in a, did, you did you enjoy fundamental drills? I kind of did. Uh, my first couple of years, I think I had Coach Smith and the outfielders. And then after that, I had Coach Polk my last year in 92. And uh, I had the stopwatch. It got me a little exercise to, to run around in between stations. But yeah, Coach Polk kept you on your toes. And I think that's one thing that I've carried away 30 years later is that the organizational skills that you mentioned helps me in work every day. Uh, the detail that he has trying to remember people's birthdays and anniversaries Oh, he's yeah. second to none. Yeah, you can almost you can write that down and get in a birthday card and a and a Christmas card every year. And I'm sure for you you probably even get an anniversary card. Yep. And he even knows how many years I've been married too. So um yeah, it's it's beyond impressive. Yeah, uh, back is. then, Wally, um what uh, I know Coach McMahon, was he there your first year and Coach Shoop, or did they come later on after you started? No, they were there. They were there when I first started. Uh, I think it was Coach McMahon's first year as a, and as as an assistant. I think he was there previously as a graduate, as, as a graduate uh, coach. But uh, yeah, that him and Coach Sheep, Coach Sumner. Okay. Uh, no, I think they came in in '83. Uh, 80, 82 was a uh, Coach Roth. Um, you know, Coach Balder was a graduate assistant. Uh, Jim Case was a graduate yeah. assistant. You know, he, I'm, I'm naming these off, and you know, now that they're they've been coaches for so long now, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing about came through there. 
That's one thing about Coach Polk is his coaching tree. Uh, I saw Coach Shoup retired the other day after 39 years of coaching. Coach McMahon's been very successful currently in the Yankees. you got to have a good Coach Mack story that you can share with us. Uh, I remember – well, a, a couple. I, re- I remember one time being in the bullpen, uh, having to stand, uh, you know, in the batter's box while someone was warming up. Uh and it happened to be Bobby Thigpen, and he was throwing, and he threw. Uh, he threw. I think he just, it just got away from him. I don't think he was trying to go in on me, but it went in, and I, you know, it knocked me down. And uh, of course, Thiggy thought it was funny, and I didn't. Uh, and I got back up, and the, the next pitch, uh, he threw it, and I and I played like I was going to swing at it. And I, you know, I did a full swing, nowhere near where the ball was, and uh, think he, think he kind of took a dive, thinking you know the ball was going to come at him. And coach and Coach uh, Mac didn't even move, not even for a moment. And then after he saw what Thiggy did, he kind of gave me that Chesler cat grin, like you know, out of boy, you know, way way to hang in there like that. And we just kept. We kept playing, but uh, one of the game, one time during the game, we were at Tennessee, I believe, and uh, we uh, we had people on first and third. I mean, they had people on th- first and third, and uh, I think Steve King was pitching. He called timeout, and he went up. They called the, uh, you know, the pick play where they were where you're gonna um, the catcher's gonna fake to throw the ball to second. Mm-hmm. And try to get the guy at third. Uh, so they called the play, and 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 Steve was supposed to catch the ball, and tried to get the guy off at third. Uh, went back to the dugout. I think Barry was catching. Uh, throws throw you know guy takes off for first. Barry throws it. Uh, Steve just lets it go to second, and the guy from third scores. And Mac just makes nonchalantly goes into the bathrooms there in the dugout, closes the door, and then there's a ruckus going on. I don't know. What <laughs> you know, uh, he never said a word. He never said yeah. anything. He just walked in, you know, nonchalantly, sh- shut the door, and then you know, some, something exploded in there. I think a, a bomb went off. I don't know, but yeah. it was pretty loud. And then he came yeah. back out. And, Never said a yeah, word, yeah. you know, never showed any emotion. Uh, that it got all our attention, that's for sure. Yeah. One of the guys I had the honor and privilege of getting to know was uh, Chris Maloney. I think his last year was the 83 season. Uh, when I worked for the New Orleans Zephyrs, uh, the minor league baseball team, we were AAA in New Orleans for the Houston Astros. And uh, Hammer, as uh, Chris is affectionately known, was our manager. Got to know him really well. He told some great stories. We also had Gary Gaetti was our hitting coach, and Jim Hickey was our pitching coach. But Hammer would always tell some some fond stories back from his uh, days in Starkville. And from what I understand, uh, he did he start originally at first base in front of Will Clark, that uh, which would have been Will's freshman year. Uh, that's right. Uh... Unfortunately, he became the Wally Pip of uh, Mississippi State baseball. He uh, 
he started in 83 at first base and uh he got sick mm-hmm. and uh he was out for about a week and and will came in to replace him while he was sick and he never gave up the starting position after that but uh he was a really good he was a pretty good ball player and uh it wouldn't it hasn't surprised me a bit that he he's done so well as a manager and as a coach because i i think if i was a player i think i would want to play for him uh he just he was a great guy in the clubhouse you know always always uh had a joke you know a great one liner he was fun to be around now speaking of clubhouses i can imagine during your time it's nothing compared to is it 68 60 million dollars the current incarnation of duty noble field or what lsu yeah. has in arkansas and all that what was it like back in those days? I mean, you were going down to Baton Rouge before even Skip Bertman was the coach. What was well, it like back in those days, the facilities in the SEC? Well, you know, um, you know, old, you know, uh, the old stadium there at LSU, uh, it was, you know, they had the light stands inside the dugouts. I mean, it was pretty cramped over there, you know. And you're right, it was for Bergman. I mean, you know, there wasn't anybody in the stands when we would play over there back then early, you know, nothing like it is now. But um, as far as our facilities, I mean, you know, we had our, the locker room was inside the hump. We'd have to mm-hmm. walk across the street, uh, across the road there. Yeah. You know, coming, and coming through the first base gate and – go across, you know, to our dugouts. But uh, Where'd you have to watch the uniforms? Did you have washers in the home, or did you have to go up to Shire? We had to go to Shire. We had to take a yeah. push the laundry cart. Up the hill? Uh, up the hill and over Shire. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, Phil would uh, let us borrow the van, and we'd mm-hmm. put the laundry cart in the van and, and push and, you know, drive over there. But most of the time, we had to push it over there. Now, I've told the story. I washed uniforms at the SEC tournament in New Orleans in the French Quarter at a laundromat off of Bourbon Street. What's the craziest place you've ever washed uniforms? Well, I can't remember. I, I want to say it was in Omaha. Uh, there was a there was a laundromat. I think it was something like Buds and Suds. <laughs> Where, I where think they, I, we washed there too. Yep. <laughs> where, where they had beer on tap, you know, there at the at the yeah. uh, I get mean, an I'm adult right. beverage and throw your unis in the, the dryer. Right, right. I I never I never thought that I'd see that at a laundromat. Uh, I think the coolest place, uh, you know, LSU. We we kind of had a standard uh, hmm. thing with the rest of the uh, teams, you know, at least the SEC West. That uh, you know, if we went to your place, that you wash our uniforms, and uh, that was pretty much the case uh, for most teams. That I don't LSU didn't, uh, they didn't do that for us, but they allowed us to use their facilities. So, uh, but and theirs was there at the uh, football stadium. Wow, that's so it was kind of neat to be watching. You know, they can kind of let us have the place. I mean, so we would walk out on, in the middle of the 
50 yard line and you know throw the football around you know in the dark yeah. you know with nobody in the stadium it was still pretty unbelievable place to go into even with so it speak so speaking of LSU in 85 I saw something on Twitter a little while ago the day the day that we're recording this it's the anniversary so let me do the math real quick 35 years of winning the SEC tournament and um, during that time I think it switched in 88 uh, the SEC tournament champion was declared the SEC champion. Uh, so what do you remember? I know the 85 season uh, ended up with the trip to Omaha and winning the regional in Starkville. What's one of your most memorable moments from that 85 season? Well, I, first, you know, winning the SEC tournament there in Baton Rouge. Was, you know, back then there was only uh, four teams to make the tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. You had the top two teams in the East and top two teams in in the West, and uh, we didn't even uh, win the West, so to speak. We were a game out. You know, LSU was uh, the West winner, and uh, Florida was the uh, East winner. And they were, they had the number one seed just because of percentage points. Um, uh, we had actually had more wins than they did, but uh, and Georgia was the fourth seed, and I think they had a, like a 500 record. Uh, mm-hmm. But it came down to the finals between uh, us and Georgia. Uh, you know, we won that, and we won the tournament, so we had the automatic bid to the to the postseason. But uh, and then you know, playing uh, it made me realize, you know, was it last year, a couple of years ago, when Michigan was in the World Series? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we played Michigan there that year, and. Uh, you know, they had a pretty good team. We had Chris uh, Chris Sabo and uh, Barry Larkin was on that on that team. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was a pretty pretty good team that we beat just to get to, to Omaha that year. Uh, and then just on you know being in, at the World Series, that's you know you can't you can't really. It's hard to to talk you know describe what that's like. Yeah, and I and, and I tell that story all the time. The '90 when we went to Omaha and you're riding up the bus and the, the Rosa Blatt sitting on top of that hill and you ride up there and the first time you walk in, it's like sends chills down your spine. Uh, but going back to the '85 season, the year before or the two years before that, you guys were close going to Omaha. I live in the Austin area now. If our if memory serves me right, didn't you guys come down here to the regional in '83? You might have lost to some guy. I'm not sure if many people have heard of it. Might have been Clemens and Chiraldi. Yep, sure did, sure did. In fact, um, you know, we won the first game we played against Texas. Uh, I think it was against Chiraldi, and uh, you know, we were in the driver's seat. They had to, Texas had to beat us twice, and uh, the last game they had some. They they brought in a their left fielder, I believe. Uh, Lefty kind of kind of remind me of Chaka. Uh, just threw very really slow and had a breaking ball and just we couldn't keep you know couldn't wait back long enough. We were hitting them but uh, just missing just barely every time. He he was slow enough to where you know they just couldn't uh, get good wood on. Him. 
and then eighty four. That 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 place was one of the best. Uh, you know, there's not too many places outside of Dude Noble that uh, you would say uh, have an impressive fan base, and they they were pretty. They were pretty vocal there. Yeah, and that's one thing I've learned. I've lived down in Austin for almost eight years and been to a few games over at Dishwalk Field, and they are – I mean, everybody talks about uh, Texas high school football on Friday Night Lights and things like that, but they are passionate about baseball down here, um, at the, especially at the collegiate level with the Texas – with the history they've had. I believe they've only had four coaches in their, in their history all the way back to uh, – was it Dish and then Falk and then Gustafson. Argy Garrido for a long time, and now David Pierce. Um, but yeah, the Longhorns—that's a very treat, uh, rich tradition, and uh, that burnt orange is a very signature, kind of like the maroon uh, Mississippi State M over S. It's a signature in college baseball. Now, the next year, '84, you guys got to host. Am I allowed to mention the, the guy's name, Stuart Weedie, for UNO that hit the home run? Am I allowed to mention yes. Stewart's yes. name? That's well, you know, he's a Mississippi guy, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I think he's from Mississippi, even though he played at UNO. But yeah, that was a tough, that was a tough pill to swallow there. Uh, I mean, we thought we were good enough to go in '83, and we thought we had it in that there in '84. Uh, I know, I know, most of the guys after that game probably stayed in the dugout a good hour. Before they came out of the dugout, it, that was tough. Yeah, and a little known tidbit off of that: I grew up in New Orleans and used to watch Ron Maestri at UNO, and I know he's really good friends with Coach Polk. And the one thing about UNO, they do hold the distinction of the first college team from Louisiana to go to World Series uh, with that win in '84. Everybody thinks of LSU, but they didn't go. I think '86 might have been their first year going to Omaha and then two lanes going a few times, but, uh, UNO, uh, holds the distinction first team out of Louisiana to go to the, the college world series. Now I remember vivid memory. I have my, one of my alumni weekends when I was still a student manager was the 91 fall in 91. I remember beating Buck Walter. He got uh, named the Yankees manager not too long after that, uh, talking to him at that weekend. And there's a photo taken of Clark, Thick Ben Brantley, and Palmero, the four of them that were, I think, what they played together, 84 and 85? Right. And so you got four future Major League uh, All-Stars. Uh, Thick Ben set the save record. Brantley had a really good career. And, of course, everybody knows what Clark and Palmero did. We always debate the guys, uh, what's the furthest ball you've ever seen hit? I've heard about Frank Thomas. My personal that I always go to is La Mouton in the Superdome in 1990 off of Tim Henderson. Um, I've heard Bo Jackson, uh, Tommy Raffo might have hit a couple. What's the furthest home run you've seen in person uh, well, during your time as a manager? Oh, as my time as a manager? Uh, I would say yeah. I was – and this wasn't during a game. Uh, I was catching – we were back behind the fence at uh, the old Birmingham Barons, uh, Barons uh, ballpark. Uh, and uh, Bruce Castori hit one. That park had like a, a 20-foot fence, probably, you know, like a green monster all the way around the stadium. You know, with them, and then 
past that, about probably another 20 feet back, there was a, a brick 20 foot that uh, kept the ballpark from a railroad station. And uh, he hit one dead center uh, that cleared both both fences. And that's the part. He, his, you know, seeing Ralph and Will hit, hit him out and hit him over into the street out of our ballpark, you mm-hmm. know, was kind of became pedestrian. But uh, Bruce's power, I mean, he would hit him. That, that, that individual was the farthest I've ever seen anybody hit a baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I remember meeting Bruce at a couple of alumni uh, weekends and I think uh, would character be a uh, appropriate term to describe Bruce? Uh, I think all those guys in the early eighties <laughs> were characters. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 uh, it's fun talking to those guys when we get back to town, uh, at the alumni weekends. Now, talking to you before getting ready for this, uh, I thought I had the honor and distinction of being the only manager to have to run a mile because I forgot to wear shorts to a pregame meal uh, down in Jackson during the 90 season. But I understand you had to run a mile as well? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, my freshman year, uh, uh, I woke up. I, I set my alarm. We had to go pull tarp uh, early early in the morning, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock, something like that. And, uh, I had my alarm set and, uh, I got a phone call, uh, right before my alarm went off. And so I talked on the phone and, uh, alarm went off during, during that. And I turned it off while I was still on. And when I got off the phone, I completely forgot that I had to go. So I went right back to sleep <laughs> and, uh, you know, when had when we showed up for pregame, uh, it was pretty obvious I was in trouble. So, uh, of course, the same thing happened to me from what I heard with you. Uh, you know, the my first uh, attempt at a mile, I'd never run a mile in my life, and I was supposed yeah. to run one a timed one. Uh, it didn't go well, and uh, of course, the guys. Uh, called ahead and they brought you know it, it was only like a friday night or something like that so they had all their they had all their dates for the night come up and watch the event it was uh it's pretty enjoyable for them not so much for me but uh yeah i think i ran it i, I ran it for about a month and i wore coach poker out and he finally just gave up and uh, <laughs> i mean i dropped my time i mean i probably dropped maybe 15 seconds off my my first day uh yeah. to ever trying to attempt one i got better at running it i just never made it by whatever the time because back then you know bruce uh another story on bruce Cast story he was he could run it you know t- perfectly every time and so he would be late for everything and so you know every time somebody ran one it I think they took a second off. They took a second off of it, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he had run quite a few by the time I had to write, run one, so it was down even farther. Than, uh,
fond of as much as I enjoyed playing at Duty Noble Field in front of the fans as it was um, my first couple of years as a manager. I had to chase down foul balls and bring them back. Yeah, we did. Uh, so we, we could reuse too. them in the – did you have to do that? Oh, yeah, had to do that. that was did you ever my... get booed when you took it away from Ab- a kid? Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, we, we had that open ballpark. So, uh, you know, we had to run outside of the out of, outside of the ballpark, you know, if it, if, oh, it, yeah. if it had out on the road, you know, between, you know, the hump and the, and the ballpark, we had to go run it down that way. Uh, and so, you know, kids would be hanging out there and you'd, you'd have to run them down. Because they knew they knew what the game they knew the game, so they just tried to make yeah. it even more hard. But it was, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Sometimes I just, you know, if the kid was upset, I just kind of walked away and yeah. said said, "Hey, uh, that one's on me." I just, yeah. I couldn't do it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I had it a little easier than you did because with the new stadium, I guess it's the older one now, opening in '87. You could walk along the concourse in the grandstands, right? Um, but but if it went um, back up where we parked up on the hill up there, or uh, uh, or if it went out into the lounge, I don't think I journeyed out into the lounge um, uh, to go get a home run ball because you probably weren't going to get that one back from the lounge. We had a guy. We had a guy specifically. Uh, he was a he was a high school student. Uh, you, you may know him. I, I think he's a with the. Um, police force in columbus now uh tony cooper uh, yeah the name sounds familiar uh he just ran uh he ran foul balls for us during games he would come and and sit with us uh okay. and would run and would run him kind of so we could you know do stuff on the field uh it was nice having him there when uh to do that but we still i yeah. mean we still had to run a, a lot we would just take turns on who would have to go do it. Now, what about the bus rides with Everett? That's some of the best memories I had in my three years as a manager. Uh, well, you know, you... Everett, Everett initially was not our bus driver. We had two, uh, uh, we had a bus driver named John Long, and then we had another another bus driver uh, named uh, John Robert. Um, and then Everett started uh, doing it toward the end of my you know, maybe 85, okay. 86. Uh, okay. He came in into doing the driving, but uh, he he drives kind of fast. <laughs> that might that may be never... an understatement. That might be yeah. somebody in front of a tidal wave t- uh, and say he's going to feel moisture. I mean, that. Yeah, we came. I remember we played at LSU in '91, and it rained so much. We didn't. We didn't even play on Saturday. Sunday, it didn't start till five o'clock. We passed. We played a doubleheader. We didn't get done till like midnight, and he bust us back. And I, I, I think we all fell asleep. But I think it was like record time. We made it back to, to Starkville. Uh, it was probably good that you fell asleep because you'd probably been scared yeah. to death if you saw what was transpiring i also remember i don't even know if it's still there it's been so long was we went uh after georgia uh, athens is one of my favorite sec towns um and we went out to dinner at this place called charlie williams steakhouse and i don't even know if it's still there 
And all I remember is I think I closed my eyes. We were going on this windy backwoods road up a hill or whatever, and we pulled up, and it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. And, and I don't think we left for a couple hours uh, after playing the doubleheader on the Saturday um, at Georgia. Um, is that, but, is that yeah, where they the, had, like, family dining, where it was like uh, you sat in long tables mm-hmm. and they just brought the food yeah, out the- yeah, they had like these big old long picnic tables, and we sat right. down there, and we had uh, families of the players and everything along those lines, and yeah, and stuff I, like I, that. I ate there too one one time. It it was good eating. Yeah, um, my other memory of Georgia was I got on TV sliding on the tarp during a rain delay. So, oh, did yeah. you ever journey out on the tarp in your day? Uh, no, I did not. I did not. Uh, yeah. I don't think I was. Uh, I, I wasn't as athletic as you were uh, to be able to pull that off. And I remember. What about I you mentioned earlier? I remember okay. seeing that on, you on the tarp too. Yeah, I did a I'm couple times. Uh, What's that? I'm not going to say what I what I was saying when I saw it. You thought it might break the tarp or something. No, I was thinking, look at that fool out there. <laughs> I did it at Georgia and then at the SEC tournament in 91. I, I just remember the 91 season, it seemed like it rained every day that year. We had delays. They shortened the SEC tournament. It was at Alex Box in Baton Rouge. They shortened it down to seven inning games. And uh, I mentioned about the regular season game uh, that we played there. Um Another memory I always have back to LSU is uh, we were at the SEC tournament in 90 in Hoover. Uh, they expanded it up to six teams, I think, a couple of years after you mentioned the 85 was four teams. And we yeah, played wasn't LSU. That, wasn't that, that the first time that uh, it was at a neutral site? Wasn't, I think 1990 was the first time it was at a neutral site because normally it was hosted by SEC school. Yeah, I believe so. I think 88 was Starkville, 89 was Florida. And then I think, yeah, you're right. 90 was at the the Hoover Met. Um, and I, we played LSU in the Superdome that year. Then we played them three regular season games in Starkville. Then we played them twice uh, in the SEC tournament. Um, and then the seventh time we played them, ended up getting rained out. We were both already announced as host for the tournament. So they declared us co-champions. And we went on our way. But one thing I'll never forget during that rain delay was a lot of our guys knew the LSU guys from summer ball, whether it was playing in the Cape or Alaska or different things. And so they're talking and I knew their managers and we're talking whatever. And Steve Polk comes over and uh, he had a thing that year was to to give somebody a hot foot, taking the matches. That sounds like him. Yeah, I know you. I know you're probably shocked when I say Steve Polk pulled something off on that. But right. he he got I think Roger Smith, our manager that year during the season. He got a couple other people. Well, I'm not sure who if it took any encouragement. But Skip Birdman was telling the story in their dugout. We're all standing around or whatever, and somehow Steve Polk pulled off the hot foot on uh, Coach Birdman, and Coach Polk was sitting in the, the other dugout with his cigar, just laughing the whole time at it and that's one memory i always have uh i saw uh steve uh this fall at the egg bowl and every time i see steve i, I think of that giving Birdman the hot foot that was 
probably one of the funniest things I've witnessed. Uh, and baseball might be the only sport. I can't imagine somebody going to give Coach Ogeron at LSU a hot foot. Uh, yeah, during exactly. <laughs> so what other memories do you have uh, back from, from your days that we haven't talked about? Well, you know, you're talking about Coach Polk laughing in the dugout and all that. You know, he didn't uh, – I, I, there's not too many times where he just fell out laughing, you know, whether we were on a trip or on – you know, where, where he was uncontrollable laughter. But uh, my freshman year, we, we played a series with Arkansas uh, on neutral sites, one in Mississippi, one in Arkansas. Uh, nor we played in Greenville, which was my hometown. Okay. And then, we, then we played at uh, Little Rock. Uh, we played Arkansas at Little Rock at the uh, Arkansas Travelers Field, and I think we we played a couple of places places too uh, in Arkansas. They, they switched it up uh, a couple of times, but my us going down there prior to. Uh, Coach Roth, who was the pitching coach, uh, had been telling Coach Baldner that uh, he didn't sign. He didn't. He didn't sign autographs. That you know, he didn't think he should be doing that. You know, for the game. You know, he was just building this mm-hmm. up. And so he asked me to, since we were going to my hometown, to to get some high school kids to come out, and uh, we were going to prank Coach Baldner, and. Uh, I got my my uh, my brother Hal and uh, two of his friends, uh, Scooter Tucker, who ended up playing at Delta State and became a uh, played with the Giants uh, mm-hmm. as a catcher for a couple of years, and I think with the Astros. Um, and then uh, Mike Galatis, who just recently passed away, uh, good guy. He had walked on, played football. Uh, at state uh, but the three of them came out uh, before the game while you know warming up and uh, you know I gave them balls and stuff and I told them I'd get for, for pulling this uh, you know I told them what the prank was that they were going to go up and ask for autographs and and uh, and that Coach Roth was going to uh, you know tear up their stuff and throw it away right in front of them tell them to you know get away from you know and we made sure it was right in front of coach Baldner when it happened so uh they all we had it planned perfectly you know where Baldner was right in the eyesight of what was going on and the, all three of them walked up and each individually uh asked for an autograph and you know he took either the paper or, or the pen or whatever he, he he scribbled his name down and then he tore it up mm-hmm. right in front of him and threw it on the field and took the baseballs and threw them down the line and told him to get off the field <laughs> and uh and you know and they played and they yucked it yuck i mean their their yeah. faces i mean that you look like you, you know they were they were crying you know about to be in tears uh mm-hmm. and I, I think one of them even had crocodile tears but you know, they let off the field, and I was trying to console them and looking at Roth, you know, like you know, he was a scum of the earth, you know, and yeah. and Ballner's got his, you know, his, his jaw is just wide open. I mean, he's 
he's beside himself. And uh, <laughs> and we don't tell him through the whole game. And uh, we don't we don't let him know on the prank until on the trip to Arkansas, you know, after the game that night. <laughs> after the game, yeah. After the game, you know, that he'd been had. But uh, they didn't tell Coach Polk till the following morning what had transpired. And uh, uh-huh. he tried he tried to tell the story to the team uh, during pregame, and he got caught, you know, he got so choked up, you know, trying to tell the story, he started laughing so hard he couldn't finish the story. And so he had to have somebody else tell the story. Uh, That's I, awesome. <laughs> I've never I've never seen him laugh so hard. Yeah. In my, during my time there. That was that was great for me. Now, speaking of Coach Polk stories, I've always heard this legendary story. I want to see if you were around for it when uh, – see how it goes. When he got thrown out of the game, the umpire said, go st- stand somewhere where I can't see you, and he stood on home plate. Now, I've heard I've heard that story, but I, I don't know if it happened on my watch. Now, he, he, he uh, didn't get thrown out a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, he got thrown out. He got thrown out once. At, you remember? I don't know if they did this when when you were there, but you know, between the between the SEC tournament and the and the and postseason, mm-hmm. uh, you had you had a week or two there, uh, a time where nothing was going on, and so we yeah, would schedule yeah. a three a three game uh, series with another team that was in in postseason. Yeah. Uh, and we played at Florida State. Uh, okay. And uh, there was a call that it was a se- second game, I believe, of the series, and there was a call at third base uh, where where he was right in front of him, and he saw it, and uh, we got called out, and it wasn't even close. I mean, it wasn't bang bang or anything. Yeah. And uh, he started arguing with the. With the umpire, and the umpire, you know, you know, Coach Poke. I mean, he he doesn't mm-hmm. use profanity or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, most time his arguments are that the umpires are not in the right position to make a a call. Most of the time, was his argument. Um, but he got tossed. He was so livid after that game. He was on. He was making phone calls left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't see that umpire the next day. I remember uh, this was long after I got done as a manager. I was living up in Ohio, and so this is 2008 season. And I drove down to Lexington because John Cohen, a good friend of mine, was coaching at Kentucky, and that was Coach Polk's last year in Starkville. And so I drive down. Yeah, I'm just that's good. Yeah, name dropping. I'm not really sure what that John Cohen guy's up to these days. I've kind of lost touch with him. Right. He. uh, so Coach Polk got thrown out of all three games, and Cohen got thrown out of like one or two of the games, and uh, and I think right after that is when they changed the rule. Now, if you get thrown out, I think you have to sit out the next game. And so I had heard they call that the Coach Polk rule now at the SEC office. Um, but I think that changed after that because you're right. I mean, in my three years as a manager, I can remember once in Jackson can't remember if John Harden was pitching or if it was Rob Norman. We were playing Ole Miss in the Mayor's Cup. 
and there was a balk call and he got thrown out arguing that, but you're right. He didn't get thrown out much, didn't use profanity or anything along those lines. Yeah. So, I mean, it was on you. Most of the time he was right on the, whatever he, now occasionally I think he, he argued balls and strikes, but, uh, uh, usually we were getting signals from catcher, you know, did y'all have that hit the face mask or whatever? Yeah. The catcher, I remember, I think I want to say it was Eddie Lyons one time or Matt Carpenter turned and put their hand and the umpire said, Hey, I've, uh, this is the early nineties umpire goes, Hey, I know that trick. Don't do it. I know what you're telling uh, coach Polk. <laughs> they yeah. got, uh, they got called out on it. I think that, uh, that got around the block a few times. Um, so, Wally, your five seasons that you're in Starkville and as a manager or whatever, what's some, like, what do you want to call them life skills or things that you took away as a manager? I know for me, it helped me get a job. One time I was interviewing was when I was back living in New Orleans and an LSU football equipment manager, I found out afterwards, he was doing the interview and basically saw once I uh, – was an equipment manager in college. He pretty much, it was a done deal. I had the job because he knew what kind of hours we put in as managers and things like that. What kind of skills did you learn during your time as a manager that have helped you uh, carry over into your job or into your personal life? Well, I think a few things. Uh, obviously, or- organizational skills, uh, uh, time management skills, uh, interpersonal skills. I mean, you had you had to know, you had to communicate with people, all types of people. Um, I think that basically those three things, um, because you had to run pr- practice and you had to run it, you know, to mm-hmm. the minute. Uh, and then you had to know where everything was and keep up with all the equipment and make sure, you know, you had everything you needed when you got, went out on the road. So, uh, heck just packing the bus with all that mm-hmm. equipment was, a was a skill set and so not 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 anything that I could use you know in a business setting but uh, that was quite a feat us getting most of that stuff underneath the bus. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about going to Omaha. I can remember that being whirlwind. We wrapped up on Monday against Florida State, and we bust out like probably I think Wednesday afternoon. So it was whirlwind getting all that equipment and organizational and like you said packing the equipment and if a belt broke or need an extra pair of pants or a different jersey, you'd always have to have that as well. Um, we talk about – We didn't have the, as much of a problem with jersey like you did. I mean, you know, we were lucky to have, you know, for a while up until 85, we only had one jersey and two pair of pants. Yeah, and so now you look at it, they got like eight, eight ten combinations or whatever it is, and wouldn't we – you guys wore what just the maroon tops the whole time just maroon, yeah maroon tops and then and then white pants at home and gray pants on the road right. not till 85 yeah. did we get the white tops the white tops and then my years they were there we switched off of those the ones they've brought back now uh we switched to the the whites at home with the m over s on the on the jersey and then on the road we had the gray ones uh, i think that switched a couple years before, I think 88 or 89 is when they made that switch over to those. And now you look at it, they got what, about 10, 15 different combinations of uniforms. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, a lot more responsibility. I would think there's a lot more responsibility being a manager with the program now than it was when me and you were there. Yeah. Uh, although they've got a lot easier set up to, than when we, when me and you were there. Yeah, I went back in the fall for the Egg Bowl and uh, got a tour of the stadium the next day and went into the equipment room and a number of washers and and the the mud room they have to put all the cleats and everything in there. It is it is state of the art uh, facility and equipment and the the workout area and all that. It's far cry from from what was there before. It's unbelievable what they have there. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the new stadium. Yeah. I I don't think they missed anything. Yeah. All right, Wally. Well, I appreciate you joining. Anything else you want to share? Uh, not at the moment. All right. Well, we, we might have to come back and have a, a second. Maybe we uh, get – uh, one other thing uh, you mentioned was like the managers you were with. And then I know, uh, what was it? 86, Bo McKinnis and Brooks Ayers came along. Was that their first yeah. year? Yeah. So I, I, I had two, I had two celebrity managers, uh, <laughs> my, my senior year. Uh, but Hey, I didn't mention, you know, in between those times I had Steve Fandel and uh, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas and Gary Cagle. Uh, uh, those guys were, <laughs> Those guys were some serious. Uh, Steve Andel was probably the best athlete that I I saw that was a manager. I mean, he probably could have played baseball. There was one alumni. Uh, it was still when Coach Bolk was still there when he did the golf outing, and I just threw my name in, and he paired me with three other managers. And I want to say it was Steve, and you said it's Gary Cagle. Yeah, Gary Cagle. I think he yeah, played, I think he's like a. I think he he's a golf pro now or something. Like yeah, that. there and I can't remember or who our fourth golf or something like that. And uh, the fourth one was from around that time. The the fourth one in our group was from around that time frame. I was the young, I was a young guy in the group and clearly the worst golfer of the four. Um, I remember we had a good time. Oh yeah, Steve. Steve can play can play some golf now. Steve can do just about anything. He he like, he was a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and I know that's one of the things you, you from when you were there, you passed it on to the Bo, and then I worked with Rogers Smith for two years, and and then Rob on Hawkins. down the line, you you work with these guys a lot of hours on the at the stadium, a lot of long bus rides and uh, laundromats on the road. Uh, it was some good times. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, I I really enjoyed my time doing. I mean, there. There was a lot of hours, and, and, and it became a grind at sometimes. But uh, the payback was getting us be on the field, you know, on game day, uh, and get to enjoy, you know, be a part of that. That that made up for it. Yeah, that's that's very true. And some of my best friends to this day were guys that played there. I won't drop any more names since you called me out when I mentioned some of, some guy's <laughs> name earlier. <laughs> well, you know. I didn't have to drop any names. You dropped them for me on, you know, for, with my and my crew. So I, I didn't have to. Uh, other than, uh, you know, John Scott, I was I was a little miffed. I saw where, where you know, they they gave the listing of third baseman. Mm-hmm. I, didn't know, I didn't know why John Scott didn't make the top five. Yeah. That. Uh, you know, 
he might not have been the best hitter in the world, but he did lead the he did lead lead our uh, team that year in the game winning RBIs. That's that's interesting because I mean you would think whether it be Thigpen uh, had a really good year hitting or Clark and Palmero, if I think you would win a lot of bets at the bar right now. If if you bet somebody and said who had the most game winning RBIs on the eighty five team, I don't I don't think many unless you were there every day like you were. I don't think many people would guess, John. No, no, no I only know that's because John tells me that every time. Reminds me of that. <laughs> uh, that's the only reason I know it. <laughs> I did like on uh, that um, that documentary on the SEC Network uh, on the Thunder and Lightning when uh, they were telling the oh, stories. Yeah, you would have yeah, saw me on there. I, you know, I was yeah. a skinny guy. You wouldn't have recognized me because I was a skinny guy, but. Uh, yeah, I was, I was on there a few times. But they told the story of basically they had to convince Coach Polk to let uh, Bobby come in to pitch because he was the right that, fielder and one of the best hitters on the team. That's true. That's true. Uh, Dan Dan had to uh, talk Coach Polk into letting him throw. Yeah. And then he goes on and sets a major league uh, save record. Right, right. It was a great coach move on, on Coach Polk's part. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you one thing, though. What's that? You, you were – I remember in your first podcast you were talking about uh, getting told to shut up during a game. Yeah. Uh, that happened to me a lot. Uh-oh. It only happened to me once. I was one and done. Well, you, you know, the guys back then, the, the guys in the dugout during, during the games, I mean, uh, they were hecklers big time and so I didn't really do it my freshman year but uh I got into it into the to that you know early on and we almost we almost wore it as a badge of honor almost uh to get told shut up and then everybody you know piped down once once it happened but uh everybody kind of took turns doing that you know getting you know heckling the pitcher Somebody make an error, you know, just stay on them. Because all we were looking for was to get a reaction, have them look our way or, you know, and that was – and then we just stopped because we knew we had them. But, uh, yeah, it, it happened on multiple occasions. Right. All right, Wally. Wally, well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you working through the technical difficulties we had, and uh, thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, well, you know. It's our, it's our, it was our first, your first time to have to do it. Yeah, and the gift is in the mail because, Wally, you do have the uh, distinction as being my first guest on this podcast. So if this becomes internationally or critically acclaimed podcast, you can you can tell everybody you were the first guest. Yeah, well, I, I hope, uh, you know, I hope we get more than, you know, four or five people listen to it. We will. Once they find out you're on, it'll get to double digits. Right, okay. All right. Thanks, Wally. Appreciate it, man.